This morning is uh, one of those uh, messages that uh, I've been putting off for a long time, and uh, you sense that, uh, you know, I don't want to get involved in people's lives in any way whatsoever. However, it's the responsibility um, to go through what the scriptures have to say. And we have been having a series, a short series, that we've been looking at family matters. And we've been looking at husbands and wives and marriage and the interaction that we have together. And today, what I want to do is to talk about uh, what the Bible says about dating and what is an appropriate level of intimacy before marriage. I'm just wondering if switching that light off might help the, um, the slide to, uh, to shine a bit brighter and then you can see what's going on there. Okay, so <clears throat> that's the subject that we're going to be talking about this morning. And I have to say that the message this morning, I do have our young people particularly in mind, but of course, not just them. Anybody here who is... Um, um, in a relationship, uh, this message is for you because it talks about the importance of marriage. It talks about the importance of uh, how we live our lives. If there's anybody here this morning uh, who is engaged, uh, engaged to be married, well, the message is for you too. If there's anybody here who is, uh, and I, I do this sort of quotes dating, but I think it's funny when people do that. It, don't, you, don't you think it's funny when people? Okay. And, and so if you're one of those people that, uh, that are sort of in some sort of a relationship um, with uh, somebody, and I want to say that I'm here this morning not to tell you what my views and opinions on these things are. What I want to try and do is, as we've done both with the messages on men and women and on marriage, is to look at the scriptures and to say, what is it that God actually says to us? Now, in the preparation for this morning, I have to say that I recognize that what I will be saying uh, will be considered outdated, outmoded, irrelevant by quite a lot of young people. Um, what I want to say this morning, or what the scriptures say this morning, will be perhaps considered um, something which is, is, you know, God's out of touch. He's lost touch with the reality of the world in which we live today. He, he's totally missing the point as to how our society functions and how it operates. And, he, and he, doesn't, he obviously doesn't understand the pressure that young people are under today. He, he Somehow, you know, God is on his throne and he's nodded off to sleep and he's just not able to understand the position that we find ourselves in as young people today. Everything that I say this morning really hinges upon verses like this. But there are many verses in the scriptures that we could look at. Uh, perhaps some of you could think of even more explicit and important verses. But this one from Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So the wonderful thing about verses like this one is first of all that it tells us what to do. It explains what it is that we have to do. It also explains how we have to do it. It explains what's so important to us. And then it tells us what God will do for us. So we see that whichever way we look at it, this verse supplies everything that we need to be able to uh, see our relationship with God grow and deepen and, uh, and experience some of the great blessings that God as for us. Trust in the Lord. It doesn't say try. 
That's all right. Thank you. <laughs> I won't ask why. I've learned that it's always better to do as one's told. <laughs> Resistance is futile. <laughs> Trust in the Lord. And whatever aspect of life, it doesn't matter if you're married and you've been married for the last 40 years. The verse is the same. The message is the same. Trust in the Lord. It tells us to do what? It says to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Now, I don't know about you, but if you do something half-hearted, it usually is not a good result, right? Quite often it fails. You know, half-heartedness. My wife's having a new kitchen in at the moment, and uh, we've got to work hard to get everything sorted. And there are times when I think she thinks, but Sim, you're so half-hearted over this. Uh, I'm watching her painting, and I'll say, oh, you've just, there's a drop on the on the floor there, sweetheart. And, you know, it's not a wise thing to do. But, you see, you've got to do it wholeheartedly. Everything that we do, if we want to see it succeed, we've got to do it wholeheartedly. And this is what the verse is explaining to us. And then the other thing that we struggle with so often, particularly as young people, is this. We think we know it all, don't we? Okay? I mean, when you get to the age of two, my daughter knows everything. You know, no longer will she get in the, the pushchair or the stroller. Why is it called a stroller? Never mind. No longer will she get into the stroller because she wants to walk. She wants to do her own thing. No, Daddy, let me. All right? And you're thinking, you haven't got a clue, sweetheart. And so from the age two up to that period of something like, well, in men's case, most of the rest of their life, you know, it's always a challenge. Men only mature finally when they have children of their own. It's, it's a long process and wives are very, very patient and they look after us incredibly well. But we think we know it all. And there are some of us this morning here who think that just because we're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, that we know it all. And the reality is, is that we don't. And I've always said, I've said it in business, I've said it in life, it's always worth at least listening to what someone has to say. You can reject it afterwards. But if you don't listen, you don't have the choice to reject it. So it is worth listening and finding out. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That's one of the wonderful things in the Christian life is that we're not left alone. God directs our paths. Now, in answer to the question, what does the Bible say about dating? Well, on the subject of dating, the straight and honest answer is is that the idea or the concept of dating as we understand it in our society today is not mentioned in the Bible. The idea of a boy, or as we live in modern society, a girl asking a boy out on some sort of event, a date, or whatever, that concept does not exist in the Bible. Obviously, the Jewish tradition is very, very different. The idea of arranged marriages was something which was very much part of the Jewish uh, culture. And so when we come to the Bible, we can't find a section that directly says, uh, this is the time for you to invite that pretty girl who sits over that side at school or is on the school bus or lives down the street. Okay? There's nothing in the scriptures that tell us about this sort of experience that we find. 
The Bible teaches us to be separate from the world. Now, we do know that very, very clearly. And again, there are many, many sections of Scripture that we can look at. 2 Peter 2, verse 20. And with our young people at Jam, you'll remember that we spoke about the fact that, yes, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We spoke about the fact that the world wants to contaminate us. It wants to make us think the way that it thinks. So when it comes to relationships and dating, the idea of standing alone, standing different to the rest of the crowd, is a challenge. It's not an easy thing to do. Perhaps you're in a group of 10, 15 youngsters, and all the others are talking about dating. All the others are talking about who they're going out with or whatever else it is that they're doing to each other. And you are left with the option of saying, no, that's not how I will live. It's not easy. And so this morning, I don't want anybody to feel here that this is me standing with a big stick, you know, waving it at you. There's, there's nobody in my mind that I'm speaking to apart from all of our youngsters here this, this morning. But we recognize that we live in a world which is polluted. It's a world that does not accept the things of God. It's a world, in fact, that when you see the concept of God, it immediately riles against it. It doesn't want to have anything to do with God. And again, the scriptures explain that very clearly. So, should Christians date in the way that the world promotes dating? Well, you can imagine from what I've just said that the answer is going to be no. So what is the world's view on dating? Because before we can answer this question fully, we have to clarify certain things as to the way that the world functions and operates. Now, as I began to put these uh, different slides together, I discovered that there are lots of things. I don't want to offend anybody particularly. I don't want to embarrass any parents because, you know, there are some parents here who have got no idea about what we're talking about this morning. I was talking to uh, a man recently who'd been married for a long time. And he has had a most wonderful marriage. Um, and the Lord, for some reason, his, his wife has gone to heaven. But I see from him the great love that he and his wife had for a long time. And then he mentioned that they hardly had any dating experience in the way that we would confirm it and think about it today. And I just want to say thank you because that was an encouragement for me to talk this morning. Because what I'm going to say and what I'm going to talk about again from the scriptures, there are some of you who are just going to get upset and walk out. You might have a bag of old vegetables and try and throw them at me. I don't know. If you're brave enough, you can shout out. We'll wait and see. But when it comes to the way that the world functions and the way that young people are put under pressure, there are certain things that are enormously powerful within our lives, within our community, within our societies today. And essentially we discover that uh, dating, when youngsters talk about it, is the emphasis on everything that they're involved in. If they do switch on the television, the programs they watch, it is just an assumption that from the ages of 12 even younger, 12, 13, 14, that they have exclusive relationships and that they don't uh, uh, allow themselves to be involved perhaps in, in, uh, in, in friendship with others and so on. 
Uh, they talk about what people look like. I think today growing up is incredibly hard. I mean, you know, in my day, um, we used to build tree camps, <laughs> um, jump in muddy puddles, <laughs> uh, play games, join the scouts, the cubs, the cadets, go camping, build things, make go-karts, have races, take an old bathtub and float it down the river. There were some dangerous things that took place as well. And you know what? We used to enjoy being kids. And now I look around and I see the pressure that our young people are on, particularly from a sexual perspective, and I think to myself how sad it is that they've missed out on all these things where we can grow and we can learn. There's nothing better than, than playing games, being involved in activities in teams and enjoying fun together. And now the talk so often turns, who are you kissing or whatever it is that's going on. So essentially we discovered that uh, this whole idea of dating is based on physical attraction. And if nobody asks you out, it means you're not attractive. Even though you might be just 12, 13, 14 year old. And you feel unloved. Because the way the pressure of the world operates. Often it's based on peer pressure. So the girls are talking about the boys, the boys are talking about the girls. And that's the way that it operates. And, and if you feel that, you know, I'm going to make a stand, I'm different, then you will be made to feel the odd one out. And to be honest, you are the odd one out. Let's just be truthful about it. It's exactly what it is. Often it's based on sexual inquisitiveness. And... Again, how sad it is that young people are being pushed into corners to experiment sexually at ever-increasingly early ages. And there are things that uh, the average 11, 12-year-old knows today um, that a few years ago we didn't know. And quite frankly, I'm glad. But this is the way that society pressures us to go based on our feelings, but feelings change. You know, when we're in those uh, mid-teen years, tweenies or whatever they're called, and teenagers, you know, we're growing still. Um, our experience of the world is limited. Um, I think one of the things growing up in Europe that is quite different to here is that we experience other cultures because everybody in Britain's got a passport and everybody goes on holiday to Spain or France or some other country and you experience a lot more of the world. Uh, whereas I talk to people here, we, we ask the kids at, uh, at Jam, you know, who's, who's been on an airplane and probably less than half had experienced uh, travel outside of Ontario. So you discover that the world is, is very different. The world says date as much as you want and start early because the whole concept has been turned on its head and we discover that uh, the pressures are there. So what are some things to consider before seeking exclusive relationships in a dating environment? 
Well, I go through this list. We aren't looking at the scriptures just yet, but we will be in just a moment. Uh, the effect that it has on friends. Again, people are excluded. We discover that uh, if you have a relationship, so-called dating relationship, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, that will exclude the other relationships that you have at a time when you actually need them. Uh, there's nothing better than developing friendships in your childhood which you can take right the way through for the whole of the rest of your life. And to say, that was a friend. That was somebody that I could trust and depend upon. And we discover that, uh, that so often um, problems and difficulties, isolationism and so on takes place. So we have to remember that in exclusive relationships there is an effect on other friends. The pressure it puts on you when for the one time in your life you're free from pressures. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old or whatever it is, you've got nothing to worry about. Your mum and dad pay all the bills. They're not going to kick you out. You've got all the benefits and no pressures. Okay, your mum might shout, it's time to get up in the morning. But, you know, that's not a bad thing, is it? And, and the sad thing is, as I've mentioned, it, is that we so often miss this period in our lives because no longer are we able to just enjoy the time of growing and learning without the pressure that the world puts on us. Sometimes I've been down into our basement and I've watched what Belle and Emma and some of the others have watched on telly. Now, you know, it's pretty reasonable and benign in some respects, but the theme is there. You know, what's going on? Who are they dating? And so on. And I look at it for a few moments and I think the pressure that uh, subliminally is being put into, into our young people's minds is great. So enjoy the time, the time when you're able to develop who you are, okay? You're not trying to develop yourself to be who the other person wants you to be. And the important thing here is that we develop who God wants us to be. That's what we should be doing. That's the priority. And yet so often we discover that young people, you know, girls um, making sure that their hair's perfect before going out and meeting or possibly meeting the boy that they're interested in. Now, I can't say the boys would necessarily do the same for the girls, but more and more so, that's the case. I mean, you know, in my day, did we worry about what sneakers we were wearing? We were fortunate to have anything to wear, let alone what they were. And then $250 per sneaker. This is ridiculous. The pressure to engage in sexual activity which could determine the rest of your life. Now, this is an important one because the world, the way that our education system is operating at the moment, the way that even our medical services are operating. Joe and I had to take one of our kids to the doctor, to the eMERGE. Um, this is going back a few years ago. And you know how in the emergency room you have those little cubicles with a curtain around you. So you may not be able to see what's going on in the one next to you, but you can hear everything. And so we're waiting with, I forget who it was, one of our kids. And uh, we hear in the one next to us, it's a young girl. And the doctor says to her, when did you last menstruate? There was a silence. And the girl said, 
what do you mean? Okay, so he then had to explain. Okay, she's pregnant. All right? And now we begin to see the pressure that our youngsters are under. But it's okay because pregnancy can be dealt with. And that's what the school tells us. That's what the school tells our children. That there's, there's nothing to worry about. It just happens. But the pressure to become sexually active is at an increasingly earlier age. And of course, when I talk about here things that can determine the rest of your life, well, if you have a baby, that will determine your life. Now, here's the thing. God is able to deal with these situations. And if mistakes are made, God is able to step in. And we rejoice in that. And a church that is a loving church and a caring church doesn't point the finger. What we do is we step up, we help, we encourage people. And we do the best we can to provide for that new family that's being developed. And we'll do what we can. So it's important. But of course, there are other things. It's not just pregnancy. But as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, one in four Canadians carries an STI, a sexually transmitted infection. And under 24s, or 24s and unders, I think the number drops to one in three. So you begin to see what's happening in our society today. So what should our priority be when we do start to consider our future partner? And I have to speak from the perspective of the Christian here. Now, I talk about this because some of us this morning have made professions of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We call Jesus our Lord. Perhaps some of us have been baptized. Some of us have been prepared to make a stand and to say, yes, I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Now, if you're not in that category, of course, well, we pray for you. And we're great, great grateful that you're here and we trust that the Lord will bring blessing and encouragement as we talk through these issues. So talking from a Christian's perspective, one of the things that is so important for us is to discover the character of the person that you're thinking of. Uh, you need to be sure of this before you begin any relationship or commitment to them. So one of the things that is so desperately important is to know that the person that you're thinking of or you're interested in or you believe might have an interest in you is saved, that they're a believer. And the biggest determining factor in a person's character is are they born again of the Spirit of Christ? Now, if you're unsure what being born again means, we'll turn to John chapter 3 and read the story of Nicodemus. But our Lord Jesus turns to Nicodemus. This is a guy who we're told was a member, he was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the 72 top guys in Israel. If anybody should have had his go to heaven free card, it was him. And he comes to Jesus and he speaks to Jesus and Jesus says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Okay. So I'm saying to you now that when you start to talk to somebody of the opposite sex, when you start to talk to somebody that you're interested in and you've been praying this through, the very, very first thing, the biggest priority you have is, are they saved? Are they a believer? Are they somebody that you would marry one day because they are saved? 
Does the person you are thinking about share the same desire towards Christ-likeness? We could read Philippians 2 and verse 5 to talk about that. What does Philippians 2 and verse 5 says? It says to have the mind of Christ. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well this all sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? You know, why in the world am I going to think about these things? You know, I'm just interested in what he looks like. (laughs) What she looks like. But I absolutely assure you that if you begin to look at these priorities, then you've got a foundation for a relationship which is solid and which is sound. If you're a Christian, then these are important credentials that you must consider. They're not optional. They're things that you have to consider. The Bible is clear that we should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And we turn to uh, these sections of Scripture that help us to understand this. 2 Corinthians 6, 15 and 16. Do not be unequally yoked. This means being tied together in marriage for this particular um, intents and purpose that we're looking at here. So don't be unequally married. You know, one's a believer, one's not a believer, together with unbelievers. So there it is. The word is very clear. It's shown there. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Does anybody know what fellowship righteousness has with lawlessness? Shall I tell you none? Okay? None at all. And then just to make sure we understand this, the Apostle Paul goes on, he says, and what communion has light with darkness? So what, what, what communion does light have with darkness? It, it doesn't. It's opposites. And what accord has Christ with Balliol? This is idolatry. And now we're beginning to see what's so important because light and dark don't mix. Someone who's a believer and not a believer, they will try, but they will fail. And then finally, Paul says, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? The answer is nothing. And then people say to me, and some of our young people even here have said this to me, but God, this isn't fair. He's smoking hot. (laughs) Here's the picture. And so is his truck. Now, I don't know what truck that is, and I'm sure it's not good enough for some of the girls here this morning. Okay, and, and we hear that statement, don't we? You know, God, it's not fair. You know, she's she's the most beautiful girl in the world. And she may not be saved. She may not be a believer. She may not be a Christian. But that can change, can't it? So. We often hear this, you know, God, it's just not fair. And then we go on and we discover this. uh, And I hear this quite often. Why is God so demanding? I've given my heart to him. What else does he want? Why does God not understand our society today, what's going on in our culture? Why is he just so out of touch? Well, all of those questions are answered very simply in the fact, because God wants the very, very best for us. Now, we might settle for second best, third best, fourth best. But God doesn't want that. He wants the very best for each and every one of us. Without exception. God knows that if we marry an unbeliever... 
then our relationship with him will be weakened. Our relationship with God will be weakened. And we will compromise. We'll compromise our morals and our standards. And as a result of that, we will not be able to enjoy God and his blessings in the way that he wants us to enjoy them. You know, as he provided all these blessings and wonderful things for us, it's sort of like you know, a shelf, perhaps in a shop you could imagine. And you've got to choose one. That's not how it works. He wants you to have everything. And he will give you everything as you trust him. But I'll win him to Christ. I'll do it my way. I'll win her to Christ. I'll do it my way. Somebody who's a lot more intelligent than me said uh, that churches can be like this as well. He said, if the church imitates the world to win the world, the church will end up being won by the world. Do you see that? In any relationship, dating or marriage, we need to remember to love the Lord above all else. Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Is there anything left out? No. It's all of us. It's everything of us. Our love for God always comes before our love for another person. Now, you might be surprised at this. I hope you've thought about it. But my relationship with God comes before my relationship with my wife. Her relationship with God comes before her relationship with me. But the next relationship is our relationship to each other. That's the order. And then our children. And then it filters down. And so on. To put another person as the most important thing in your life is idolatry, which is sinful. 1 John 4 verse 9, we love because he first loved us. And I've got to say to you that that is one of the biggest mysteries in my relationship with God. How could he love me first? But he did. And he loves you first. I was looking at uh, an article which was written by um, a doctor. Uh, his name is Scott Carroll, MD, and he's the director of psychiatric consultation services at the University of New Mexico Children's Hospital. And it just so happens that this was one that came up. I could have said accidentally, but I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, and he talks about nostalgia to the days when dating was dating, when men were men and when girls were girls. And he says this, this is how it used to work. A boy would ask a girl out on a date, and the first thing he would do would be come up and ring the doorbell. Ding dong! And you'd meet him. The parents of the girl would meet the boy. And then he would take the young lady out for a meal, perhaps go to the flicks or the, the cinema or whatever. 
And Dr. Carroll says, teens today have a totally different view on dating. Dating and teen relationship is a whole new ballgame, which the vast majority of parents are clueless about. And somehow the hapless parent has to stay in on the loop and help their teen to develop healthy relationships. Now, Dr. S uh, Scott Carroll is not a believer. He's talking from a, uh, uh, just a general worldly perspective. And he goes on to say, under the section he's entitled, FaceTime or Tech Time, one of the biggest differences in team relationships is obviously technology-related. Teens may initially start one-on-one -on -one conversations through texts or social media with sites like Snapchat or Twitter. Flirting, social banter, and even sexual activity are often part of the modern-day way that teens meet up. And then sexting comes in this where you send pictures of yourself without much on, if anything. Your teenage son or daughter can continue for hours, all day, all night, all day the next day, and all night the next night. Leading today's teens to have very little time for themselves. Parents should talk to their teens about the importance of face-to-face -face conversations in developing real-life relationships. Because sadly today, according to this article, many people have, uh, young people, have lost the art of actually talking to real people and meeting them. What you say in a text message is quite often totally different to what you say face to face. And we see that on Facebook all the time, don't we? It's amazing what people are prepared to say about you on Facebook, but if they meet you in the street, different matter. The boy who wants to text your daughter from his car at the curb does need to come to your doorbell and meet you face to face. That's assuming that you know anything about the date. In the old days, you heard your daughter talking on the phone, which was strategically placed in the hallway so that every room in the house could hear what was going on. You remember that? One of the most important dating clues missing from the overuse of technology is body language. We text all the time, shares a 17-year-old boy who thinks he has a girlfriend. But when pressed a little bit harder, he says, but I'm not sure if she thinks we're a couple. Subtle body language is almost always lost when texting is our number one method of communication, facial expressions, and so on. Does the world seem more sexualized to you than when you were a teenager? Dr. Scott Carroll says it is, massively. Sexuality is now openly promoted in our society 
in a way that has never, ever been seen before. Schools openly discuss all aspects of sexuality, including to some very young children. And then he goes on to talk about that in some detail. And he says that much of the over-sexualization of our young people comes from mainstream music videos, um, comes from television shows, and other media has changed the way that girls in particular see their sexuality. And experimentation with sexual relationship with both sexes seems to be more accepted, at least, or particularly with girls. So yes, the world is very different from the 1970s and the 1980s. As far as sex amongst teenagers go, there seems to be a wide range between what's considered acceptable behavior by teen peers and what is considered to be promiscuous. A 16-year-old girl, when asked if casual hookups for sex among teens are common in her area, she shared that casual sex is what happens within her peer group. That's what you do, she replied. It's normal. And we don't look down on it. We wonder if she and her peers found it difficult to find someone interesting in developing a committed relationship, and she replied, yes, commitment is also something we don't do anymore. Another teen said that while many girls may hope for a one-to-one -one exclusive relationship with a boy, Many of the boys are not buying into this anymore. So the casual sex becomes a way for girls to feel connected to a boy, even though it's not what she wants. Dr. Scott, uh, sorry, Dr. Scott Carroll finishes by saying, dating may be completely different than when we were teenagers, but parents still need to be involved. Make it a rule that you need to meet anyone your teen is spending alone time with. Talk often about feelings on sexuality with your teen without making it a lecture. Ask questions about what type of people your teens feel good about. Keep an eye on social media and texting use to make sure that it doesn't become excessive. And as I said, that's not written from a Christian perspective. So we really need to hurry now uh, to a close and simply say, so what is an appropriate level of physical intimacy before marriage? Well, one of the things about dating that I want to make very clear, and it's this, is that the Bible says nothing about it. It's not actually needed. Now, you might think, uh-oh, now I'm going to disagree with him. Okay. Because when you get to that time in your life, that you're beginning to realize that you want to settle down, you want to find a partner, you want to find a husband, you want to find a wife, then that's the time that you pray and that you seek that God brings the right person across your path. So in other words, the world says, go out with as many guys, as many girls as you want to. Do whatever you want with each other because it's fun. You know, it's just the thing you do. But you see, the reality is it's not. When sex is involved, it leads to children, it leads to families, it leads to responsibility. And so if you think that you can engage in sexual activity 
without having any concern whatsoever for the results of sexual activity, then you've misunderstood entirely what God has been saying and continues to say in his word to us. And so here's the thing. I'm going to tell you out now, and and you can talk to me afterwards. Don't bother with casual dating. All it does is cause problems. It's not biblical. What you want to do is to grow and to develop as you, as God leads you, as God guides you. And you want to be able to see your life and your maturity develop if you're going to go to college and university and schooling and all the rest of it. You want to be able to complete your studies. Do what you can do. And then when the time's right, God intervenes miraculously and we're able to see that he brings that person along our path. The Bible is clear that sex before marriage is wrong. Uh, We've read some of that, but those are the other references that we can see there. The Bible also makes it clear that sexual sin is in a different category to other sin because it is not only God that we sin against, but also against our own bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And I also want to throw this one in. There's usually two people involved. What about the other person? Are you pushing them to be involved in sinful activity, which perhaps they don't want to be, but they feel pressured by you to be involved in it? And remember, God wants the very best for us. And this is his plan. So Romans 12, 9 to 10, also remind us to respect others. Sexual sin usually involves two people. Are we considerate to the other person? Sex is the way that children are conceived. And are you ready for the responsibility of children? So, you've met this beautiful girl. You've met this fabulous guy and his truck is, you know, ticks all the boxes, okay. And he's a believer. He leads in church sometimes. Is perfect. So we just close by asking ourselves the question, so what is an appropriate level of physical intimacy before marriage? Well, we've discussed sex. The Bible clearly says that sex before marriage is not allowed. This is God's plan. So I get asked this question sometimes, and I go a little bit red when people ask me, so can I kiss him? (laughs) Well, I suppose I could say it depends what you're talking about. But the answer is no. Because it's where it's leading. And the young guys here, the young girls here, know what I'm talking about. Some of us older ones haven't got a clue. (laughs) But our teenagers do know. So the answer is no. Can we be alone together? The answer is no. We shouldn't be. Because temptation, Satan comes along and he's so good at saying, are you sure God said that you couldn't be alone? Are you sure God said that you shouldn't do this, do that or whatever? 
because that's how he works. And parents, our kids' rooms should be off-bounds for members of the opposite sex. That's it. Okay? We, we don't allow them into each other's rooms. You need to know where your kids are. And they need to know that if they choose to sneak out of the house when you've gone to bed or whatever it is, that they've gone against your specific instructions. And Joe mentioned earlier, remember, and I know some parents struggle to do this, remember you're the parent. Okay? The, y your kids are not running the home. They're not determining what's going on. It's your home. You're covering all the bills. Remember that. <laughs> and so be careful. Because Satan is, is like a lion crouching at the door. So James tells us. And that's what sin is like. So that's the important. So what is God's way for relationships? After coming to faith in the Lord Jesus and beginning our relationship with him, then the second most important relationship in our life will be with that person that we marry. So number one, it's our relationship with God. And then it's that relationship with others. Before we're married, it's with our parents. And then when we meet that person that we marry, it's with our husband or with our wife. God has clearly explained in his word the foundation that we must follow to have a great and lasting marriage. So what should I do? Don't start dating until you're ready for a lasting relationship with a person. In other words, start to date with a view for marriage. Don't start exclusive relationships when you are still forming relationships with peers that are also very important in your development as a person. Flee from sexual temptation. And that, of course, goes for all of us. Grow in your relationship with God and seek a godly partner when you're ready and when God brings that person to you. Enjoy the time in your life when you have no pressures. Let mum and dad pay the bills. Talk to your parents about relationships. Listen to advice from God and his word. Even from the pastor and other leaders at church, the youth group leader and so on. Love the person God brings to you. That's it. Um, you can talk to me afterwards. <laughs> or my wife. If you're a girl, talk to my wife. <laughs> but if any of the boys want to talk, and I know they'll struggle, but we can, we can spend time and talk to these things at a later date. But thank you for listening so well. And I know some of you will say, that's just too hard. That's just impossible. I, you know, I'm not keeping to that. But it is what God says in his word. And it is important.